Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It is a great honor and privilege to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And we have a lot of interesting things to share um, this afternoon. We're going to start out with a little bit of Jewish history. Um, today is the first of the month of Av, Rosh Chodesh Av, which we're going to discuss in a moment. But I first want to make mention of uh, two other important historical dates um, this week. So Monday... Um, which was the 17th of July, um, was the 28th of Tammuz, 28th day of the month of Tammuz in the Hebrew calendar. And that is the anniversary of the League of Nations confirming that the British government could take over the mandate in Palestine um, in 1922. So on that day, the 28th of Tammuz, 1922, which the anniversary was this last Monday, the mandate was handed over by the League of Nations after World War I to Britain. And that territory was taken from the Ottoman Empire following the war. The mandate charged Britain with securing the establishment of a Jewish national home and safeguarding the civil and religious rights of all the inhabitants in Palestine. Just a few months later, Britain decided to lob off 77% of the land and used it to establish the Hashemite Kingdom of Transjordan, which today is the country of Jordan. The British did that in order to placate the Arabs, in order to try and make peace in the region, but it didn't go very far in terms of creating goodwill and peace. In the ensuing years, the Jewish immigration to Palestine created much Arab resentment, and the British responded by placing strict limitations on Jewish immigration. This policy had lethal consequences for the Jews fleeing Hitler's ovens and death camps. When the British continued to placate the Arabs, for example, by restricting Jewish land purchases, a revolt was organized by Zionist groups. By 1948, this pressure had forced the British out of Palestine, clearing the way for an independent state of Israel. But it is important for us to remember that the mandate was given to Britain with the intention of establishing a Jewish state and Jews would be able to return to their national homeland. So that was the 28th of Tammuz, Monday of this week, um, a significant date. Another significant date is yesterday's date. Yesterday was the 29th of Tammuz, Erev Rosh Chodesh Av. 29th of Tammuz was the site of Rashi, Rav Shlomo Yitzchaki. So we, we call him Rashi because of the acronym of his name. The Rashi is Rabbeinu, and the Shin is Shlomo, the Yud is Yitzchaki. Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, Rabbi Shlomo ben Yitzchak. That was the great um, commentator and leader of the Jewish world, Rashi. So it was his, Rashi was born in the year 1040 in France, in, in uh, Troyes, in Troyes, in France. He died in the year 1105. So yesterday was the 918th Yotzite of Rashi. Rashi is best known for his incredible commentary on the 
Chamishay Chumshay Torah on the Torah, the five books of the Torah. And that commentary is essential for every Jew to study, man, woman, and child. Everybody studies Rashi, layman, and scholar alike. It is a work of immense genius and tremendous uh, scholarship. Rashi was able to um, fill in the gaps. The Torah Shebiksav, the written Torah, the five books of Moses are very cryptic, are very brief, are summaries of what, uh, well, basically that's what Hashem, God, dictated. The What exactly is written in the Torah and the five books of Moses was a completed dictation from the mouth of God to the hands of Moses. And Moses wrote it down. Moses was the divine secretary. And Rashi, it's very brief. And it's very, there's a lot of gaps and there's a lot of information that's missing, um, both in terms of halacha and in terms of what was going on, describing events that happened at the time. And Rashi quite brilliantly fills in those gaps. And he, Rashi brings the sources from the Torah Balpeh, from the oral tradition, on the verses of the Torah, which paints the full picture and gives us a comprehensive understanding of what's going on, both in terms of halacha and in terms of um, agada. So it really is a work of genius, a classic work, and an essential companion to any student who is studying the Torah, studying the five books of Moses. Rashi didn't stop there. Rashi then also um, wrote a incredible commentary on the Talmud, on the on the Gemara. So any standard version of Talmud, of Mishnah and Gemara that is printed today has Rashi's commentary on the inside of the page, nearest nearest the center of the page, and has Rashi's grandchildren, the Balatoisvus, on the outside of the page. And likewise, to study Talmud, one cannot do it without studying Rashi. Rashi held our hand through the Talmud, explains what's going on, and his genius um, really opens up the depth of the Talmud. And any uh, Gomorrah Shir that's worth its salt is with Rashi. It's Gomorrah Rashi. Um, and to understand what Rashi is saying and why Rashi chose to say this in this place gives us a real deep understanding of the Talmud. So it's just incredible what this man achieved in his short life of 65 years. Um, and amazingly, Rashi accomplished all this during the period of the Crusades when life was extremely dangerous for Jews. There was a tremendous amount of persecution and of um there were pogroms going through all the Jewish centers of Europe as the marauding crusades made their travels. And it made life very, very difficult for a Jew. Their lives were in constant danger and peril. Um, Rashi, even more amazing. So that's one unbelievable factor that was a part of it. And also we see um, Rashi was not a, a full-time scholar. He was a wine merchant. And he wrote these uh, brilliant commentaries in his spare time, which is quite unbelievable how much uh, this individual accomplished. Incidentally, Rashi's commentaries are the primary source of information for the study of the French language and French culture of the Middle Ages. And uh, just 18 years ago, in 2005, which was the 900th Yotzeit of, of Rashi, so it was widely commemorated in France with public ceremonies, with conferences, and with even a postage stamp issued in his honor. Such was the greatness and the impact that this unique individual, Rashi Roshlomo Yitzchaki, had not only on the Jewish world, but on the general world as well. Please stay with us and we'll be back in a moment. 
This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Today is the first of the month of Av, Zrosh Chodesh Av. And as the Mishnah says, Mishnichnas Av Mamatim Besimcha. When the month of Av comes, so we rejoice our Simcha, our celebrations. Mishnichnas Ada Marbim Besimcha. When the month of Adar comes, we increase our celebrations. So notice though, it's an increase and a decrease, but there always is Simcha. The life of a Jew is the life of Simcha. Why is that? Uh, simcha means joy and happiness because when one embraces the Torah and one subscribes by a godly system that God gave the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, so that brings tremendous simcha to one's world and to one's life. Not only do we have the handbook of successful living and we have the framework in which to live and develop ourselves as human beings, um, and which enables us, explains to us, helps us deal with our lives, deal with our relationships, deal with our the purpose of our existence. But when we live that life, um, it gives a person a tremendous sense of fulfillment, of meaning, and of purpose. And that is irreplaceable. For one who lives in a world where there's no God, when there's no meaning, where there's no purpose to our life, so that leads, that's a, a, a world of nihilism, of, um, of no meaning. And that leads to a tremendous void and a insecurity and unhappiness within a person's own worldview, within the person's own existence. Because there's an emptiness, the neshama, the soul, is longing for meaning, meaning, is seeking meaning. And that's why we see, you know, everybody's grabbing at these different ideas and causes and, and, uh, and slogans that will hopefully bring meaning to one's life. But that is a, usually those causes are a, a weak substitute for the connection to spirituality, to eternity and to God. So there's always joy in the life of a Jew a Jew who follows the Torah. Um, it's just that sometimes there's more joy and sometimes there's less joy. So even though the month of Av is a month of sadness, is a month of calamity, is a month of, of tragedy within the Jewish people, it just says, it doesn't say there's no simcha, the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, there's less simcha than at other times. But there's still is simcha. So that's the basic foundation of the, that's a, that's the water of Shimon Schwab, which I think is a very beautiful word. So let's start, try and discuss Av a little bit. And try and discuss how it works and um, and what's going on. But before we get there, I just wanted to mention that today, Rosh Chodesh Av, the first day of the month of Av, is actually the Yotzot of Aaron HaKohen. The great Aaron, who was the older brother of Moshe Rabbeinu and the first Kohen Gadol within Klai Yisrael. Aaron was born in the year 1395 before the Common Era. And he died on this day in the year 1272 before the Common Era. Aaron was a great prophet and a very righteous man who was known for bringing shalom, peace, between others. As the Mishnah Empirika Abu says that he was Roidev Shalom, Oev Shalom, Oev Esabrius, Merkavim Luter. Aaron Akoin, he loved peace, he pursued peace. He didn't just love peace and, uh, you know, want peace, but he actually actively seeked it out and tried to create peace in the circumstances around him. 
Um, he loved his fellow human beings and he tried to bring them closer to Hashem and closer to Torah because that is the ultimate application of loving human beings. You want to give them a life of purpose and of meaning, meaning as we mentioned, and help them deal with their lives and do the work that they're supposed to in this world. When we're doing the spiritual work we're supposed to, so we the, the automatic byproduct is joy, is simcha, is a feeling of of um, satisfaction and of fulfillment and of purpose, which is very, very precious and is the source of all happiness in this world. During the period of Jewish slavery in Egypt, Aaron accompanied his brother Moshe in their discussions and negotiations with Paro. After the giving of the Torah, when Moshe spent 40 days on Mount Sinai, and the people thought that he wasn't coming down. They made it a miscalculation. Aaron worked to minimize the damage of the Chaita Egel of the Golden Calf. Um, all Kohanim in history are descended of Aaron Cohen. And in fact, the DNA, there's DNA reports. Yeah, there's research of DNA that all Kohanim have the same DNA, which supports the tradition, which is quite an unbelievable thing. So we remember Aaron Cohen. Remember he stood for peace. We remember his heart was full of love was a great model and leader within Klai Israel, his Yotat being today. So let's discuss a little bit now about the three weeks and about Rosh Kodesh Av, the nine days, and Tisha B'Av. So this time of the year, of the Jewish calendar, is a time of mourning. We already started that with Shiva Asa Tammuz, with the 17th of Tammuz, um, in which we, we you'll notice there have been no Jewish weddings uh, for the... Um, for the last uh, two weeks, because we uh, a little bit less than that, you lost uh, eleven days, twelve days, because we um, we don't have uh, since it's the time of morning, we don't have weddings at this time. We don't listen to music. We don't cut our hair and shave. Um, those are those, those restrictions already began with the fast of the seventeenth of Tammuz, and as we get closer to Tisha B'Av, so the customs of mourning intensify. And become more severe. So today is now the next, um, the next level, the next step, the next um, landmark in the three weeks, the Rosh Chodesh Av. And with today, we begin what we call the nine days of mourning, which climax in Tisha B'Av, which is next Wednesday night and Thursday. So the fast, just by the way, comes in of Tisha B'Av. Um, on uh, the fast begins at 5:35 here in Johannesburg. On, on next Wednesday, the 26th of July, and the fast of Tisha B'Av ends on Thursday evening at 6.03, um, the 27th of July. So from today, our customs of mourning include um, that we no longer are able to make improvements to our home or our garden. So those are luxurious improvements that are not necessary. Um, those should be delayed until after this time. If one's made a deal with somebody, if there's a a contractor who's, who's working and it'll cost the person money, so then they can do it, but they should try and postpone and delay it till afterwards. And um, those are the improvements to one's home and garden. One's not allowed to do laundry. The Jews not allowed to do laundry at this time. Um, here in South Africa, we have the very fortunate situation that we have assistance in our homes. We have domestic workers that assist us. Um, one doesn't have to stop the domestic workers. So, for example, the domestic worker wants to do the laundry because they don't want it to build up, and it would be much more difficult if it built up after nine days. The halach is they don't have, you don't have to actually stop them, but you but you can't give them anything. You can't specifically give them give um, laundry to be done, even by a non-Jew, and we can't do laundry ourselves. 
Um, if it's done automatically, so then one doesn't have to stop it. We're also not able to wear new cl- or laund- laundered clothing during this time, during these nine days. So the clothing that we wear should have been worn before. If it's not, haven't been worn before, you can actually put it on the ground and trample on it. Um, obviously, underwear can be uh, new and, and, and clean, but the outer garments um, need to have been worn before or have been or not be clean and fresh uh, when one wears them during the nine days. And we also don't make or buy new clothing at this time. So one can't buy any new clothing at this time. Um, and also one doesn't make clothing in, in these nine days. Um, also, we don't eat meat and drink wine at this time, which is uh, not easy for us South Africans. We have a very high um, quality of meat here in South Africa. We enjoy our meat and the availability of kosher meat is, is fantastic here in South Africa. Very high standard, high standard of kashrus and a high standard of quality. Um, so we, but we can't have meat during the nine days. So we have, uh, meat and poultry. Chicken is regarded as meat. So therefore we have, um, we can have pasta, we can have fish, etc. but no meat at this time and no drinking wine. Other alcoholic beverages are permitted, but wine is not. Um, and all of this is apart from Shabbos. So on Shabbos, we're allowed to do all of these things. It's just, uh, when, uh, during the nine days, that's not Shabbos. So one can have meat on Shabbos and drink wine on Shabbos. And the last restriction that begins today is bathing for pleasure. We're not allowed to have a long, luxurious bath like we usually do, especially here in South Africa. It's our winter, and there's no better way to warm up in the cold winter nights than having a nice, luxurious hot bath. So that is prohibited. We're not uh, able to to do that during the nine days. If one has perspiration and sweat and dirt, one can wash off the dirt and the sweat. If one's worked out, one can wash it off too. Um, one shouldn't have a long bath. One should have a shower, preferably wash limb by limb, and not as hot as usual. Here in South Africa, you know, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, like in Eretz Israel now, um, the, it's very hot, so one could have a cold shower. So I'll be it's better to have a cold shower. Here in South Africa, where it's our winter, I think to have a cold shower may uh, make us ill. It's, it would be really cold. So one could warm it up a bit, but it shouldn't be as warm as usual. So um, those restrictions apply. During the nine days, some say on Erev Shabbos, um, one can have a regular, prepare oneself in the regular way on Erev Shabbos, a la Kabbalah Shabbos, Christian Friday afternoon. Others are still strict Erev Shabbos, but there's definitely room to be makeal, um, both in terms of the clothing wear for Shabbos and in terms of the preparation for Shabbos. Okay, so those are the restrictions of the nine days, and they continue right up until Tishabav. And on Tishabav, of course, we like a person who's actually mourning on Tishabav. In other words, the usual process of mourning when one loses a parent, um, so we, the, the mourning, there's three periods of mourning. There's the Shiva, which is the first seven days, um, after the funeral, and then there's the Shloshim, which is the First 30 days after the funeral, 23 days after Shiva, and then there's Yubay Shredish, the 12 months. Um, and they, uh, the most intense, of course, is Shiva, and then it becomes a little bit lighter for Shloshim, and then even lighter, the customs of mourning for the first 12 months. During the three weeks, we reverse the order. We start out with a lighter time of mourning, and then it increases with the nine days, which start today, and then the climax is Tisha B'Av, which is like Shiva. So the restrictions of Tisha B'Av are like we're sitting Shiva, which are very severe, and we don't eat and drink. We're fasting as well on Tisha B'Av. So all of these customs of mourning are supposed to awaken a person, arouse a person, 
alert a person to the, with that which we're mourning for. In other words, it's not a normal time. It's not a regular time. It's not like the rest of the year. At this time, we have these restrictions in order to remind us of what we're supposed to be thinking about, in order to assist us, in to get us into the zone and into the mindset of thinking about the times of suffering that Ju- the Jewish people have experienced during um, th- this period of the calendar, um, starting with the 7th of the Tammuz and ending with Tisha B'Av. So there are a number of calamities and, and uh, bad things that have happened to the Jewish people at this time, tragedies that have uh, beset the Jewish people. Of course, the worst being the destructions of the temple, the first base of Mikdash and the second base of Mikdash, which took place on Tisha B'Av, just over 500 years apart. But both temples were destroyed on that day on Tisha B'Av. And the time leading to it have, is also a very negative, bad time for Klal Yisrael. So we think at this time about the state of the world, about the state of humanity, about the state of Klal Yisrael. And it's a time of, of reality. It's a reality check. And we think about where are we? Where should we be? And what is the state of our lives and the state of the Jewish people? And it's a, it's not a, a pretty picture, is it? It's a very, very sad state of affairs that we're witnessing in front of us in the world today. And it should hurt us. It should affect us. It should bother us. What is the, the, the biggest issue right now is that the existence of God is denied by the world, by many people in the world. And uh, God, who created this amazing, incredible world and the requirements of life to exist on this planet. There are so many variables, thousands and thousands of variables that have to be in place in order for life to be able to exist on this planet Earth, on this magnificent planet that we live on. And uh, the chances, the statistical probability of that happening by accident is just so small. It's just so unrealistic. It's actually crazy. It's, it's completely in sugar. Um, the statistical probability of all of that by accident and chance happening to randomly um, be in place. The chances of there being a creator who designed this willingly are much, much greater than the statistical probability of happening by chance. In fact, the faith of a believing person in God is much more likely statistically then the faith of those that believe in this world is random and accident and it's got no meaning and no chance. In other words, the, the science and the numbers are certainly on our side by a long way. Um, so that's one, that's the great tragedy is that God created this incredible world for a purpose. Not, it's not random. It's not by accident and chance, but it's a specific design for a purpose and for a function that every single living being should live up to that purpose. And unfortunately, we live in a time where that is belittled, that is derided, that is laughed at. They laugh at believing people, people that believe in God, which is which is actually crazy. It really is counterintuitive because they claim to be the intellectuals and the ones that that believe in facts and in knowledge and in science and in mathematics. But it's actually the opposite. The 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 the, the scientific evidence doesn't support them. They they're holding on to the theory of evolution, which has got very 
shady proof, very little proof for it. The chances of our version of the world are much, much greater in the facts themselves. Um, so we, we see a world where there's so much pain and so much darkness and so much suffering. And the source of that is because there's not a belief in God. And that should bother us. That should pain us. That the creator of the universe is ignored, is denied, is blocked out. And that's a sad thing. That's what galus means. That's what the exile means. So that, that's what it means that there's no base on Mikdash. That we, the, the temple has been destroyed. Hashem doesn't have a place to be. Hashem, this world is no longer hospitable for the creator of the universe. And as we push God further away, so we see more suffering and more darkness and more pain and more war and more illness and more depression and more substance abuse and more family breakdown. That's all a consequence of the light of God being pushed away. And so that's what we mourn at this time. We mourn a world of, of dislocation and a world of sadness that God's presence is, is not welcomed in, in our place in the world. And that's our work. Our work is all of these customs of mourning are to make us think about this. That our work is within our world, within our space, within our, what we call Dalit Amos, our sphere of influence. We need to try and bring God back in. Bring God into our life, into our home, into our behavior, into our actions, into the way we live our lives. And so we try and we long for the light of God and we try and bring it into the world as best we can. And we focus at this time on what a world looks like without the light of God and how we yearn for that change to take place. And that's what we call the Messianic era for Mashiach to come. When Mashiach comes, everybody will see the light of God. Everybody will see the Creator very clearly. The mask, Hashem's mask will be removed and the truth of the world will be revealed. So we long for justice to be restored. That is the greatest justice in the world. God's presence to return and for the end, as a result, there will be the end of suffering and darkness and pain in the world. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So let's try and uh, understand a little bit more about this time. I want to share with you a writing from the great and holy Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Luzato, from Masila Shisharim, his classic work on um on building one's character and developing oneself as a human being. Um, and that's uh, an incredible and powerful, um, incredible and powerful safer that, that really covers the most, inc- most beautiful descriptions of life and of the personality of a human being and the work that we're supposed to do in this world. He writes in Pericutes, which is quite far into the safer, almost the end of the safer, about the subject matter that we're talking about. I'm quoting from Perakutes, chapter 19 of the Mesilla Shisharim, towards the end of the chapter. This matter is explained by the Tanad Be Eliyahu, of blessed memory. Amru, that says in Eliyahu Rabbah, So any wise person in the Jewish people that has true Torah, 
ומית אנח אל קבודו של הקדוש ברוכו ואל קבודו של ישראל כל ימיו and who cares sincerely and deeply for the honor of Hashem and the honor of the Jewish people ומית אבה ומיצא לקבוד ירושלים לקבוד בית המקדש and that individual has a very deep desire um, for the honor of Yerushalayim and the honor of the Beis HaMikdash, and for the redemption that should come speedily, and for the gathering in of the exile, so such an individual who has a deep love for Hashem, for the honor of Hashem, for the honor of the Jewish people, for the honor of Yerushalayim and the building of the Beis HaMikdash, and for the coming of Mashiach, so that individual who sincerely and truly lives that way will be zoiche, will merit to be able to um, build a, will be will merit to be able to have Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh is divine inspiration, which is a very high spiritual level. So it continues the Ramchal, So we learn from the Tanad Be Eliyahu, which is uh, the teachings of Eliyahu and Avi. She zois hi hakavana hama'ula. So this is a great aspiration that every person should aspire to achieve. And that is distancing oneself from one's own self-gratification and pleasures. And it's only um, it's for the glory of Hashem and for the sanctification of His name Yisbarach Hamid Kadesh Yosef that is sanctified by uh, his creatures at the time that we do his will. So such a person, in other words, he said, the Ramchal is explaining the words of, of the Tanabede Eliyahu. He's saying that a person who is not living for their own self-gratification, for their own pleasure, for their own self-fulfillment, uh, uh, but rather is, doesn't have their own agenda but thinks about God. And he's thinking about the honor of God in the world and um, God's name being sanctified in the world and uh, human beings doing the will of God. So that's such a person. So that person is called a chosid, a person who's a pious individual who cares about Hashem, who lives a life, not a selfish life, only thinking about themselves, but a life where they're thinking about God and of God's glory and power in the world. That is the very high level for a human being to be on and something that we should all aspire to. So instead of thinking about myself and being completely self-absorbed and caught up with my own world and my own needs and my own things and my own stuff, so we uh, go beyond ourselves. We actually develop and mature that we can move out of ourselves. And so that's the, the key ingredient for a healthy relationship. You can't have a narcissist is somebody who only sees themselves, who only thinks about themselves, who sees everybody around them as their pawns, as at their disposal for their needs. So that's a very immature person, and, you, and that's a narcissist. A person who's mature is able to put themselves and their needs aside and see somebody else and empathize with somebody else and understand that somebody else has a life, has um, experiences, has emotions, has needs. So that's the beginning of the development of a human being, when we can actually see somebody else. And that's uh, why a marriage is so important, because a marriage is the platform in which we do that more than anywhere other place. Because in a marriage, a person has to see the other. If you're just completely self-absorbed, 
So you can't have a healthy relationship because the person will see that you're just selfish and you don't see them and you don't care about them. So the beginnings of the trust and the foundation of a healthy relationship is when you display the ability to see the other and to care for the other and to live in sync sincerely with the other. So that's the beginning of growth. And then we have children and the, 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 the nuclear family grows and that muscle develops further that now we have a child that we take care of their child and their child becomes a focus and the needs of that child, not only my needs, and we've learned to take care of the needs of our spouse and be, and be cognizant of our spouse. And now we see there's a, there's another being that we are focusing on beyond ourselves, which is in great need of, of care and of attention. And that's the child. So that's another development and growth. The narcissist sees the child as an extension of them. The child's only for their, is only their prop, is only for their use. And that causes great damage in, in the psychological makeup of the child. But a sophisticated, mature human being will care sincerely and genuinely for their child. And that creates a healthy child who has confidence and who has the ability to face the world in a positive way. So once we've done that, we therefore need to extend beyond our family. We look at our community. We look at the world. And then we see Hashem. We see God. We see the Creator the benevolent creator of all life. And we care, not only it's not about me and my family and my my world, it's about Hashem, living a life where we look for to bring the light and glory of Hashem to the world and to restore Hashem's honor in the world. So that's a very high level. And that's represented by the Beis HaMikdash and represented by Yerushalayim, represented by the restoration of Hashem's glory with the coming of the Mashiach. So that says the Messiah is a tremendous growth of a human being. A person who lives that way with that mindset is a holy, pious individual, not caught up with their own self-gratification, but focusing beyond themselves on Hashem. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So let's conclude our discussion about the three weeks, the nine days that begin today, climaxing Tishbab next Wednesday night. So we discussed how that needs to be the focus of an individual instead of being self-focused, but rather being instead of living a world that is self-centered, it's God-centered. And the focus of a person's life is to bring God's glory into the world. That's a very high level, and that's how righteous individuals live in this world. And the Ramchal continues in the Siddha Shusharim, Perikutes, and he says, The im yoima adam, if a person says, mi ani, umma ani, safon shet, palo au hagalos al yushalayim. Person says, who am I? That I should daven for the galos and the, the redemption of the world and for the rebuilding of Yerushalayim. Hamibnei tefilasi yikunsu hakaluyos, betitzmachi yeshu, because of ma tefilas, ma tefilas, little old me here in the southern tip of Africa, or ma prayers, and my longing going to make any difference to the redemption of the world and to the um, God revealing himself to humanity. So the Ramchal says the answer to this question is, that which we have learned in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, a person was created alone. In order, every person will say, for me the world was created. 
It should bring nachas ruach. It brings nachas ruach to Hashem that His children are praying for this. Hashem brings the redemption at the at, at the time when Hashem knows is the right time. So for whatever reason, if it's delayed, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that brings joy and nachas to Hashem. So a person shouldn't sell themselves short and say, like, what difference does it make what I do? How I live my life and what I long for. It's not going to have real any impact on anybody or anything. That's not correct. The way a Jew should think, says the Ramchal, is that for me the world was created. Um, the human beings were created as individuals. The animals were created in multitudes. Because the world was created for me, the individual. And each individual can have a tremendous impact on the world and on the spiritual state of the world and God's presence in the world. And we need to do our part and God will do his part. But if we do our part and live this way, it brings tremendous joy and nachas to the creator of the universe. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.